everyone, it's Julie with Hefstabah Talks A Lot. And I was thinking today about um, what are some of your favorite, um, I don't want to call them stories, I don't like when they call them Bible stories. So your favorite histories from the Bible, some of the people that you read about in the Bible that affect you the most, that you feel the most connected to. Um, I'd really like to hear from you about that. So if you listen to my podcast and you want to send me a message regarding that, please do. Um, I'm not quite sure where those messages would show up since this is on multiple platforms, but you can send them to the Anchor platform or you can send them directly to me um, at purity.gods.way at gmail.com. And let me know, because I'd really like to know who you connect with, with the Bible, who really speaks to you in the Bible, and and why. Because that's just, it's so great to share that kind of thing. And so, in regards to my own life, um, one of the major um, tellings in the Bible that I relate to the most strangely, or that... I feel the most drawn to is the Samaritan woman at the well. When Jesus meets with this woman at the well, purposely going out of his way to meet with her, um, when she would go out of her way to avoid people, that's one of the ones that really strikes me. The Just the intimacy of Jesus when he purposely goes and meets with this woman, this ostracized and outcast woman, in order to save her and through that interaction and through that exchange the entire village or most of the village ends up turning to Christ and they ultimately tell her uh, they actually speak to this woman that they used to ostracize due to her past and current living relationships they tell her that they don't believe because of what she said but that's what inspired them of course to invite Jesus to the village But no, it's because of what they saw after Jesus was invited in. However, had she not gone back to this village that ridiculed, abused, mistreated, ostracized, mocked her, and told them about her interaction with the most amazing man in all the world, then they never would have invited him back to the village, and they never would have found salvation, and they never would have um, had that experience. So to me, it has so many different layers so many different values to be taught and I think that's part of why I'm drawn to it because how many of us especially as women because we tend to overthink and we tend to consider ourselves we take on more than we should let me put it that way so how many of us haven't felt ostracized in our lives rejected cut out mocked abused ignored and carried that weight and that pain I like to believe that the Samaritan woman went on to follow Christ and be part of the new church. The Bible doesn't tell us this. I think part of that is because had Jesus given us her name, because you know he knew her name, right? She wasn't just Samaritan woman at a well to him. He knew everything. That's why he was there. That's why he sent the disciples away. All of it. He knew it all. But he chose not to tell us that because we would constantly tie her past to her name. 
And I think that's one of the lessons that we're to learn from her story. I don't like using that word and I just did, but there it is. We're to learn that our past shouldn't be tied to us. We need to be able to live what God has called us to without that impediment of our past and the judgment of others. So I believe that he may have very well mentioned her later on when Paul was mentioning names of women in the church and that kind of thing. Could very well have named that Samaritan woman and we would never know because Jesus didn't want us to know. And I think there is a lot there. I like to believe that. I, I, I constantly try to figure out what she did after she was changed by her encounter with Jesus. I'm pretty sure she didn't stay in that village and that lifestyle she was living. She could very well have married the man. The village obviously was healed toward her, but her past would still haunt her there because they knew it. I also thought of her returning to her hometown or her home, but we all know that bad news reaches us at home as well. So her past would remain there and that would be without that encounter that the village had shared with Jesus Christ. So they wouldn't have that measure of grace and appreciation that the village would hold for her should she have chosen to stay there and make her relationship right with this gentleman. And the other thing is, like I said, that she just was one of the women following Jesus and ultimately one of the women who helped form and build the new church. I believe that one more than the others, but anything is possible. And so I think about that often because she is definitely one of the biggest stories that I read that I feel the most connection to for no reason whatsoever, except the fact that we have both had that encounter with Christ that has changed our lives and drawn us out of a dark, dark world that we were once living in. And I think that you can relate to that too as well. Jesus drawing you out of something into something new. And what did you do with that new life? Many of us can end up squandering that new life away. It happens more often than we care to admit. So the challenge with the Samaritan woman is to ask yourself what you're actually doing with the new life that Christ has given you and what you would like to do from this moment forward if you haven't left the situation or walked away from the thing he delivered you from. So that's something to think about. So I talked about the Samaritan woman at the well. That's definitely one of the favorite readings in the Bible that I, I just really enjoy and I honestly think about a lot. Another one is um, when Mary goes to the garden or to the tomb after Jesus has passed away and risen again. That's the key part of it. He not only died and laid down his life on the cross and was buried, but when she, when this part of the stories being told this part I keep doing that calling it a story <laughs> this part of her life is being told it's after Jesus has already risen again so Jesus um, has risen and Mary shows up 
and the angels tell her that he's risen, and she's like, just tell me where you buried him, and, uh, and I'll, uh, I'll go get his body, and the angel had, um, was sitting in front of the open tomb, obviously, and then Jesus shows up in the garden area, well, it's a tomb, but since she assumed he was a gardener, I'm assuming there was a gardeny kind of area there, <laughs> and so, he asks her why she's crying, and she says that they've taken away the body of Jesus, and they won't tell her where. And then Jesus tell, says her name. And see, the Bible like specifically says Mary thought he was a gardener. And we have the spoiler alert where it says Jesus was there, and Mary thought he was a gardener, so we know who it is. Um, so... He says her name. He says Mary. And she says Rabbani because she realizes it's him. And she she runs to him. And then he tells her to go tell the disciples that he's alive. Now the reason I really, this one really strikes me is, first of all, um, the fact that Mary didn't recognize Jesus. And the reason why is he was in his, tra he was his transfigured body, first of all. But second of all, and primarily, it's because she had grief. And she was burdened down by her grief so much that she couldn't recognize the, the very person her soul was crying out to. So, it takes Jesus saying her name to get her to realize it's him. And that tells me, and it should tell us, just how personable and how personal Jesus is when he relates to us. So much so that all it takes is him to say our name for there to be a dynamic interaction and a dynamic change. Because he speaks our name with an intimacy that no one else ever can speak our name. So an example of this in my own life was I was having a very dark dream at one point, And I pray that God guards my dreams and watches over my dreams. Um, because dreams can definitely involve spiritual warfare if we're not careful, if we're not aware and alert. And so in the middle of this dark, dark dream, I wanted out of it so bad because it was just horrible. It was horribly dark. And God in my dream said my name with such authority. He just said, Julie in my dream and the dream changed instantly and it turned out to be a dream inside a dream and so like the effects of the darkness of that dream faded away and the other dream continued I, I, I've always that's always caught me in this part of Mary's life where Jesus not only said her name but he waited or came back to <laughs> I don't think he was just hanging around he knew Jesus he knew Mary was going to come looking for him and he either waited or came back to meet her specifically and later when you read about Peter and John running to the tomb it it's just the angel not like just an angel is like minimal because 
from what I've heard, seeing an angel is pretty intense. Um, but Jesus didn't hang out for them. He met with them later in the, in the house. But he didn't just hang out there for anyone. He waited there specifically for Mary. And just like with the Samaritan woman, Mary's the one that brought the news. And see, people want us to believe that God thinks women are less and that they don't have the same value as men do. And just from these two accounts that I've talked about so far, the Samaritan woman and Mary at the tomb, we see the value Jesus has placed on women. And so in the church... It's a disease for the church to believe that women need to just be quiet and, and care for the kids. You know, it's, it's not, that's not what Jesus shows us. Twice, he used women in, a, in this little respect that I'm talking about to spread the word about him and change lives. And we see it countless other times, but out of the two times I'm talking about, just out of those two. We see some amazing things that Jesus does to let women be valued. And especially when you look in the, the day that Jesus lived, there was a lot less value on women. If you consider the Samaritan woman we talked about earlier, she couldn't divorce her husbands. So the fact that she'd been married all those times and, and now was living in sin... I mean, ultimately, it was the men that divorced her. It was the men that kicked her out. And then what recourse did she have? I'm not justifying her living in sin by any stretch of the imagination because I know God surely didn't and doesn't. It's just you have to realize it wasn't like today where women can divorce their husbands. Men were the ones that had to initiate divorce. And they could have whatever reason they wanted. So we look at how women were treated back then and we can see Jesus doing these amazing works with women in a time when that was never seen. And so today, as women are kind of fighting still to find their place, I know there's still inequality. I don't deny that. Um, I know that there's wage inequality and there's times when a man will be given a job, given preference over a woman, promotions or job offers and all that. I don't doubt that. But we've come a long, long way. And if you're a woman listening to this, we need to be doing what God has called us to do without shame and without fear. Because he's obviously chosen women. And Jesus shows us the great value and worth that women have in his eyes. And we can't let the church or culture or society tell us different. And I think that's something to learn from both the women I spoke about. And primarily from the, story, the telling of Mary of this part of her life. Just know that you are valued highly in Jesus' eyes and in his heart. And all the stuff that he's going to tell to you 
are, is going to be personal. And there's going to be things you can share with others and there's going to be things you keep to yourself. But what you need to know is there's authority and power and love when he speaks your name. And that's an amazing thing to know. All right, so another telling of a person's life in the Bible that I really enjoy is um, the story of Ruth. And I really like the story of Ruth for a lot of reasons. But for me, it is a picture of how Christian women and Christian men should we should behave toward each other. And I've had a bit of an issue today with modern Christians who believe that women should do the pursuing and the asking when it comes to men and marriage and dating. And this is my personal opinion, so I don't believe that is true. I don't think we are called to pursue the men and chase the men. And I think the perfect example of a pursuer is Delilah. And if you want to be like Delilah, then chase the men and ask the men and you do that. <laughs> That's just my thought. So I actually want to write a book about it, but um, I think that Ruth shows us how we are supposed to be. And by that I mean she realized the value of her mother-in-law. And that is really difficult for a lot of women. And I know that there are some mother-in-laws out there that are really, really, really hard on their daughter-in-laws. And the thing is, if you're a mother-in-law, you need to like, you know, take a step back if you're really hard on your daughter-in-law, if you don't like her for whatever reason, you know. Sometimes it could be that, that they really are like really sincerely a bad influence on your, that should have been sincerely a bad influence on your son. That makes some sense because if he's married to a Delilah, and you know, it's kind of hard to like her. But as a Christian, as a mother-in-law, as a Christian, you are supposed to set an example. So it's as much as a struggle, just pray. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. I'm not a mother-in-law, so I'm, I'm, you're probably getting really bugged with me right now. But Ruth understood the value of her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law loved her daughters-in-law, but um, she didn't want them to go with her because if you know the story, then, then all of the husband, Naomi's husband died, uh, Ruth's husband died, and I cannot remember her name to save my life, Orpah, I think that's her name, her husband died. And then Naomi's like, okay, God has dealt bitterly with me. And see, all of them had left. The, the mother, her husband, Naomi, her husband, and her two sons had left God's promised land. They had left Israel and gone into Moab. And the sons both married Moabites, and that's what Ruth is. She is a Moabite. And then, um, then the men died, all the men. And Naomi said, God has dealt bitterly with me. I am going back to Israel. And Ruth said, well, I'm going with you. And then Orpah, more so, I think, because she was afraid of going home or... Um, because usually in those days, if you went home, um, a widow, you were usually remarried to somebody you know, that's just the way it went. Um, and I don't really think the pickings were very good in Moab. I'm <laughs> just going to say. So, um, so Orpah, I think, said it more so to uh, be with Ruth and Naomi than she did to really believe that 
that was the course of action she needed to take or should take. So they traveled a little ways and then um, Naomi told them to, to leave. She said, I'm never gonna have any more kids and even if I do, um, are you really gonna wait around to marry one of the kids, right? Or one of the boys I have? Yeah, so she's like, I, I, in other words, I have no prospects for you. And Naomi hung on to her and said, I will not leave. And Orpa left. Orpa cried and left. And I don't begrudge Orpa that. That's not like a negative thing. I don't judge Orpa for that. But I hope I'm saying her name right because I don't have it in front of me and so I don't remember her name. But I'm pretty sure it's like Oprah, but differently spelled. So Orpa, I'm pretty sure. And so Ruth is where, that's where Ruth said that famous line where your God will be my God and your people will be my people and nothing but death shall separate us, that kind of thing. So they ended up traveling back to Israel. Naomi changed her name to Mara for bitter. Pretty sure it's Mara. And um, Ruth dutifully went to work to support herself and her mother-in-law. She didn't just sit at home and, and try to let people support her as a widow. She took on the responsibility to care for Naomi as a daughter-in-law, which and did a very good job of it. And in that, God placed her in Boaz's field. And then from there, of course, he's a kinsman redeemer. And there, there was somebody else closer, but God arranged it so that person didn't want to marry a Moabite, you know, or couldn't, however you want to look at it. And so then Boaz ends up marrying Ruth. And Ruth ends up in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And she's a Moabite in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So all the things about Ruth is amazing. But the things that really stand out to me is just the fact that Ruth was a stranger in a strange land and she didn't care. She took her advice from an older godly woman and did as she was told to do by that older godly woman. You gotta be careful with that, of course, because sometimes they'll misdirect you. Not on purpose, of course, but um, they can mislead you because they aren't seeking God's answer before they give you their answer. So you gotta be careful about that. But that wasn't Naomi's problem. And Naomi knew what to do and knew what to tell her to do. And okay, so a lot of people now are claiming that Ruth initiated the romance with Boaz and that justifies women initiating. Ruth did not initiate anything. So I'm gonna just end that rumor right now. Read your Bible. Boaz saw Ruth, saw that she was pleasant to look at. In other words, he was attracted to her. Saw that she was hardworking she was in the field found out who she was and he saw what what does it say that she did not chase after the young men which means that she wasn't out there trying to get a date she wasn't out there trying to get noticed by a guy she wasn't out there trying to get married she was just trying to get a livelihood for her and her mother-in-law so boaz saw this purity of her and goes hmm i like her and so then he starts leaving more stuff for her so if that's not an overture what is what isn't or what is yeah and so um, when she tells Naomi, Naomi tells her, oh my goodness, he's like, like related to us. He could totally redeem you and marry you. Here's what you do. And that's when the whole thing about like, she laid at his feet. Um, she uncovered his feet and laid it on. That is not a euphemism for they had sexual intercourse because they were in the middle of a threshing field surrounded by servants and Boaz was not a pervert. So he's not going to have sexual relations with a girl in the middle of a group of people. Okay. So you guys just need to dial it back. So she, it means what it says. She uncovered his feet and laid at the bottom of his bed at his feet. That's what happened. There was nothing going on there. And then he asked who she was and then 
he tells her that she needs to go when the morning comes and of course he gives her that extra bit of barley and then then he says that there of course that he will redeem her but there's someone closer and he goes through the legal status of that showing the ethics of this man and then of course the other relative that was closer wanted the land but didn't want the girl and of course Boaz knew that so he knew how to phrase it and then of course the guy turns it down and then Boaz is free to marry Ruth so the purity of her she was gonna be she was willing to be a widow and be single the rest of her life if that meant she could be with Naomi and look how God blessed her faithfulness and blessed her hard worker mentality and blessed her purity I mean, I want a Boaz. I don't know about you guys or you ladies out there, but I definitely want a Boaz. Boaz is a pretty thinking awesome biblical person indeed. So, um, but I just, I really like what Ruth teaches us about friendship, about loyalty, about purity, about relationships and about loss. She lost her husband. You know, she had to have loved him and about being redeemed and about second marriages so all of you people that knock divorced or widowed people remarrying right there in the bible not only remarried but in the lineage of jesus christ so there you go that's why i like Ruth. 